Recording in progress. Recording <laughs> in progress. <laughs> oh, like, man. Like Borat, huge success. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're already we're already uh, way ahead of where we were two months ago or a month and a half. I don't know how long ago it was. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, that was such a that was such a letdown. Um, <laughs> wow. So, anyways, yeah. All right. Uh, this is Mike with Hunting Ain't Easy, and I've got Mark Sasser on the line. Um, we're reconnecting after uh, a failure on the uh, on behalf of my my part. I didn't hit the record button last time we talked. We 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 went through. We went into so much cool stuff. Um, and then I didn't hit the record button, so we're gonna come back to um, come back to Tradbo uh, and and hunting, and uh, we're we're mid season. We're kind of I feel like we're in a mid season lull right now since so many of the forests are closed down. But uh, yeah, let's talk about hunting and traditional archery um, because based on my last experience, I, I could still be hunting, or I could have continued my trip if I hadn't <laughs> if I had had a Tradbo. Uh, Mark, tell me about yourself. What you what what you do in the hunting world? Um, Buana bows, California bow hunters. You know, big game club. You know, all that stuff. What do you What are you into? So, um, yeah, I mean, let's start with Buana bows. Uh, yeah. My uh, one of my best friends um, is the owner and the boyer at Buana bows here in Central California. Uh, and then he, his brother, and his dad own Ethics Archery. Okay. If you're familiar with the ethics archery spinning insert, really I, cool stuff. Completely new words uh, to me. <laughs> uh, no, you got it. Got to Google it. Yeah. Um, so, but Jerome, Jerome owns those businesses as well as he's an engineer. Okay. And uh, we've been friends since the early 90s. And uh, so when he relaunched it as Buona Bose, it was ethics. Uh-huh. It was ethics, archery, custom recurves, and then they broke that off. Um, when he relaunched it as Buona Bows, I came in to kind of help him just with some design ideas and uh, marketing and, you know, general, uh, what would you call it, like redneck engineering and, yeah. and, and buddies talking about bows and, and what to do. And so uh, I'm involved there with, okay. with Jerome doing that. And then, uh, this year, I am on the board for the records board for the uh, Big Game Club in California Bowhunters Association. Okay. Um, which is fine. Is that the book? Is that the record book yeah. for California, basically? Yeah. So you've got the CBH, which is California Bowman Hunters State Archery Association. Okay. Which does your state shoots and the tournaments and 3Ds and all the different tournaments mm-hmm. on the target side. And then there's the big game club, okay. which is part of that as well. Um, and part of the, the big game club is we have this committee committee where we uh-huh. review all the entries uh, for, for the book okay. and then um, vote on for, you know, bow hunter of the year and different things like that, depending cool. on who submitted what entries. Now as a, as a bow hunting club organization, is it affiliated with Pope and Young, or is it separate from Pope and Young? Is are there no, it's, two it's, two separate books? It, they're completely two separate books. Okay. Um, we use the Pope and Young system. 
So all of the scoring, if, if you have something, if you say you have a buck that's 145 inches, mm-hmm. Pope and Young, mm-hmm. then it's, you know, it's the same number okay. for, for the California book. Um, the difference is, is the minimum requirements yeah. uh, for inches are going to be quite a bit lower for the California book compared to globally. Right. So, you know, it's not 145 inches for a mule deer in California. I want to say it's 95 inches. No way. I, I really? Think that's correct. Yeah, I can look it up. I think it's 95. Uh, actually, I probably have it right here. Oh, and it's got to refresh. Um, typical mule deer, 100. No, 90. 90. So 90. 90. 90. Non tip is uh, 100. Okay. And then for a black tail, it's um, da, 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 75. So you're talking a forked horn with a good forked horn with right. archery equipment. Going to get you in the state book. Wow. Um, There's hope. You know. I mean. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, but, I, I am so, I am so not, I, I have just no skill when it comes to judging what uh what a buck is is on the hoof like or i i just i i i could see a, a fork horn with you know big tall rack deep forks and i wouldn't know if that's better than a, a three point with a smaller rack i just i i think what mo- i see an animal and it's like it hits me in the gut like that's a cool that's a cool buck like that's yeah. a that's a cool buck or Eh, it looks kind of dinky and small and, um, but I just, I'll, I will be surprised, um, by whatever number comes up with the first buck that I take, because it's just so foreign to me, like being able to attach a number to it. So, I mean, realistically, it doesn't matter, you know, no. it, it really doesn't matter. I don't care what a guy shoots if he's yeah. happy with it because it's personal experience, right? Yeah. But what it does allow you to do is quantify you know if we're talking bucks and we say oh yeah you know i shot a hundred inch buck well okay now we know you know i shot a hundred inch buck but he was a forking horn okay that's a pretty good forking horn right right um it it just gives you a a roadmap now what i did want to say to you is your black bear that you took with your bow last year correct yeah yeah i am going to guess based off of just pictures i've seen i think that would make the california book if you want to enter it. I think so too. Um, I think it's going to, I think it's going to be dry. It's going to be over 19 inches dry. I'm pretty oh, yeah, sure. No, you're, you're solid. It's 16 inches. Okay. You know, and I messaged Seth Watts the other day. And yeah. Like, you know, you got that butt, you got that, that, uh, that bear. We got to get that thing dried out and measure it. Yeah. Um, for him as well, you know, cause he's, that's his first archery bear. So, yep. um, yeah. you know, so there's, it's something out there to, it, gives you an idea especially when you want to start looking statewide where you want to hunt you right. can look and you say well you know there's been a bunch of 19 inch bears shot in northern california but they average 17 inches in central california and right. if that's what you're looking for that's where you want to go right and so you yeah. can start mapping those things out yeah no i i totally i agree on like it's just a number you know make sure the, the experience you know shoot the buck you want if it's legal and um, the experience of the hunt and everything is is absolutely you know is is primary. I do understand and I respect how 
it just gives everybody a nomenclature. It gives everybody a, a way to to describe something that other people then understand what it is, and and that's it. And like in like in California, a hundred forty inch deer is a big. It's a big buck. You know, on the the Kaibab in Arizona, it's it's not a big buck, and so all right. it's all it's all relative. And given what we have in the state, um, but the number helps give us an idea of kind of a baseline to just to know what we're talking about. 100%. So that's cool. Um, I will definitely uh, need to submit the submit the bear. Um, that'll be a lot of fun to do, and uh, I appreciate the background there. So Buana bows, uh, traditional archery. Um, I feel like as I listen to all, all the various podcasts that I listen to, yeah, to garner more information about hunting and, and whatnot, just broaden my knowledge. I hear a lot of, um, I hear a fair number of traditional archery, you know, podcasts. And it seems like there's a lot, there's more small kind of hand, handcrafted, uh, manufacturers the, in the trad bow world than say in the compound bow world. The compound bow world, there's like, you know, the top, the big five or six manufacturers, but trad bow, it seems like there, there's a lot more, you know, craftsmen, people that are hand crafting or hand, you know, constructing on small scale. Is that, is that Buana? Are they, are, are they doing wood or composite? What's, what type of, you know, where do they fall in that mix of, of manufacturers? So at Buona Bows, we're doing um, their wood bows, right? Okay. So, so wood risers. Um, some of those are going to be like um, manufactured wood, right? And the so riser have, is what I hold on to. Your handle. That's correct. that's that's the handle. So, that's the grip. Okay. Yeah. So and those are going to be wood, whether it's a manufactured wood where it's a laminate and mm -hmm. pressed or whether it's a natural piece of wood that he craps into the handle. Um, the other options out there are, you know, some companies are doing like uh, Micarta or G10, which is a 100% manufactured piece okay. of material. And then there's companies out there that are doing metal risers, right? Hmm. So at one of it's their custom wood handled bows built one at a time right yeah that's um, cool and so the beauty of that is for somebody that's into that is um you know jerome's building a bow for a friend of ours who's a guide here in town or you know here in central california uh -huh. and he wanted something that reflected his logo color he wanted some orange in it some different things it's like all right well let's see what we can do and so um jerome got on and started looking for pieces of uh wood blanks uh -huh. That would have some characteristics that he looked for. Said, "How about this one?" He's like, "Yeah, I like that." And making a bow out of it. And I saw nice. it today. It's beautiful, right? Um, but I mean, that's something that's a custom piece, right? Yeah. Um, you can do that in rifles or any other thing as well. Sure. But you know, it's just it's another level of doing it. And so when you talk about tr traditional archery, there's a lot of that craftsman part of it that's mm -hmm. um, just how it is you know and if we were talking race cars there's guys that build stuff there's guys that buy stuff right yeah and you know compound bows that you don't have guys that make a lot of the hand pieces just because it's it's not what you're doing yeah right you're not looking for custom one-off pieces yeah um, you know so it's just it's a different portion of the game 
Okay. So, and we're kind of working backwards from record book yeah. to Buana to just traditional archery in general. So, sure. um, refresh me and, and anybody that's listening that doesn't know this as, as well as you do, you know, what is traditional archery? And then, like we said, you know, there's the riser, but it sounds like there's, there's different components to, 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 to traditional bows, different types of traditional bows. I mean, some people are out there carving their own sticks, you know, in the yeah, woods and, and, and shooting with them. So let's, let's go, uh, let's go back to the 50,000 foot level and, and kind of then bring me down through like what it, what is, what are the components? What are the, you know, how does somebody get into it? Why would they get into it? Just kind of give me the whole, the whole story. So your, your, biggest difference right you're going to have your compound bow which has wheels or cams Mm -hmm. it's got a string and cables right and then you're going to have a sighting system on it and a release a system on that bow yep okay that's your compound bow um you're using mechanical advantage to cast the arrow Mm -hmm. a traditional bow is going to be a bow without cams or wheels it's going to have a single string on it Mm -hmm. Um, typically no sighting system and typically you're going to shoot that with your fingers off of a glove or a tab. Yeah. Um, so it's traditional because it's the way the bows were in the fifties. Right. Right. But but the the biggest way to, and the prior X thousand years before that. (laughs) Right. Right. You know? And so, um, but when you get down to the, the basic differences as, no sighting system mm-hmm. shot off the fingers, not a release, mm-hmm. no cams or wheels, mm-hmm. single string. And you're casting the arrow with the energy that's stored in the limbs instead of the energy out of cams and cables. Got it. Make sense. Yeah. Now, now sounds harder. That, sounds more well, difficult. <laughs> so, that's, so the joke is, is that everybody says, oh, go to traditional archery. It's much more simple. But when you dive in there, it's a lot more complicated. Right. right? Sure. Uh, just sighting, just sighting alone. Like, like you have to, like, you know, w- what do I sight with? Other than intuition intuition that's that's one way to do it right they call it instinctive uh-huh. uh, i shot what's considered instinctive shooting for many many years um now i shoot a system that's called um guys call it gap right and so okay. what i what i'm doing now and it's much more accurate um and i resisted for a long time and i had to eat a lot of crow and i changed got it um, but what I do now is I've got a system set up where um, when I'm at full draw and it's at my anchor point, uh-huh. um, I know because I've, I've done like a dope chart with a rifle, right? Mm-hmm. My point on. So if I put the, when I'm in that position, full draw, I put the field point or broadhead mm-hmm. on the target. 30 yards or 32 yards, mm-hmm. I can put it right where I want to hit. I'm going to hit very close to that. Okay. So that's my point on yeah. 32. So it's an effectively, it's a single pin. It's a non-adjustable single pin site. Right. right? 
So how do you adjust? Do, can you adjust that? I mean, if another person picked up your same yeah. bow and and did the same thing, they wouldn't necessarily be at thirty two yards. Well, because is it all about not, like their yeah. anchor and their and and how they just yeah, all their positioning? So I anchor with my top finger on my eye tooth. Okay. Right. So if somebody else had a different grip and they use their middle finger and their eye tooth, it's the point on is going to be different. Right? Okay. So there's a lot that's why it becomes more complicated yeah right uh, you know and so at 20 yards i'm gonna be aiming that point of my arrow at 20 yards is gonna be about eight inches low and at 40 yards that point on is gonna be about 14 inches high right, right. And so you have to start remembering all these things and knowing your shots uh, and how do you know what 14 inches looks like at 40 yards? Is that like a really the, the, good the body, the body depth of a, of a small deer is like, you just take, you know, yeah. an increment of, of your average buck and yeah, hundred percent. So on a, on a mule deer uh -huh. at, at 40 yards, I would be holding the point of my arrow mm -hmm. a few inches above the back. Okay. Right. Uh, and at, 20 yards, I'm going to be holding that arrow on the brisket, right? To come up into both lungs, right? right. Or just below the brisket. Right. So you've got that gate and then you've got your margin of error within there, right? Right. Um, so that's the system that I use. Okay. It's much more efficient than just winging it, right? Grip it, yeah. grip it kind of thing. So um, it works really well. And then there's other, there's other styles that other guys use. That's the one I use. Got it. Do people, I, I can see myself want like going and wanting, um, my point on to be say 30 yards, but really it's arbitrary. Like it, it doesn't matter what the, what my point on is, does it? It's, it's oh. like, cause I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have to adjust. I'm going to have to be, I'm going to have to teach myself to adjust from whatever that point is up and down. Yeah. hundred percent. Now you can, if you said that you wanted to have a, a point on of 30 yards, mm -hmm. you can start manipulating that by arrow length, right? Okay. As you start, as you start bringing the arrow in, becoming shorter, the point's going to be higher, right? Compared mm -hmm. to a longer arrow. So your point on is going to get further with a shorter arrow. Okay. Your point on is going to get shorter with a heavier arrow. So now you start adjusting point weights, arrow lengths and things. And you can actually dial it in to get the point on you want. Okay. Right? Take some work. Right. Right. Uh, right. That's where it becomes, you know, this simpler system is much more <laughs> complex sometimes. Well, yeah, it transfers, it transfers the complexity to, to the shooter. Whereas a, a compound bow is complex, but shooting it is simple. <laughs> A traditional um, bow is simple, but shooting is right. complex. Right. Both of them really cool. I mean, both of them are really cool, right? Yeah. Um, I don't fault anybody for shooting a compound. If that's your thing, that's your thing. Yeah. Um, I just choose to use the, you know, I choose to use a trad bow. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, if you're out there hunting with the bow and arrow, I'm, I'm a fan. So. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get in closer though. I mean, I feel like, I, I feel like, um, I mean, heck, just this last trip I went up, I, I saw, I saw a deer at, you know, three, 400 yards, oh, um, yeah. watched them for an hour and 20 minutes. And I just, I knew I had no play. Um, thought, gosh, if I had my rifle with me, <laughs> this would be yeah. a done deal. 
Um, but uh, I, I moved into a position where I thought the next evening, if they come out to the same spot, because, you know, in theory, mule deer in August are, are creatures of habit. Um, the does that I saw up on this trip, the doe, one doe I saw in the same spot four days in a row. So I'm like, Hey, you know, she's, she knows what's up. She knows where she's supposed to be. Um, but these bucks, I thought, well, if they come out to the same spot here, um, and if the wind is favorable, uh, I can get in a position and I was sitting there, you know, waiting for them to show up. They didn't, but I was ranging, you know, 20 to say 60 yards out and thinking my, my sweet spot in that setup was probably going to be 30 to 50 yards. Um, yeah. feeling like 30 is close, like, like 30 is like really close, yeah. but that's, that sounds like in, in traditional archery, you know, what is, what is optimal for most people and what is, what's considered like really getting in tight. Um, so, I mean, the average, the average traditional hunter is probably 15 to 20 yards, right? That wow. would probably be average, you know, and that's yeah. guys in tree stands and, and white doll and whatnot. But, yeah. um, you know, I, uh, I was talking to uh, uh, a guy back in Texas, Scotty Campbell from top of Texas the other day. And mm -hmm. I told him, I said, well, you know, I can hit a, a pie plate at 40. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm pretty good at 30. Yeah. Um, 20 is money and, <laughs> and 10 for the win. Right. Yeah. I said, but now that being said, I could screw them all up. Right. Sure. And so, you know, when I look at, uh, if we're talking deer, California mm -hmm. deer, um, with a bow, uh, I've taken seven under 15 yards. That's close. Right. Yeah, it is. Um, taken two between 15 and 30 yards right okay. um, so to me it's getting i want to get as close as possible right i want to be able to shoot i want to shoot be able to shoot efficiently as far as possible sure but when i'm hunting i want to get as close as possible so that's the game that i'm trying to play yeah well and, you, and your numbers seven yeah. inside of 15 two yeah outside of 15 um are are were there are there more deer that you didn't shoot outside of 15 because they busted you early or or well, do, you, do you just yeah. <laughs> or do you just find that if you can get to 20 you can also get to 10 or if you, if you can get to 25 so, you can get to 15 usually if i can get to 30 right okay. if i can get to 30 i can get to 20 wow usually yeah right and I'm a really good shot at 20 on targets, right? Yeah. But, uh, you know, I still always want to get closer. And, and a lot of times, you know, even if you get to 20 um, and, a, and a deer's up and moving, if they're not bedded, right, uh, a lot of times they'll walk in closer. If you've got the wind in your favor, they'll walk in closer. So that's where that, you know, sometimes they bring it to you. Right. Um, sometimes you have to bring it to them. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I always want to get for me. I mean, I would rather blow something out at under 15 yards and sure. be like, damn, I did that. Right. Then, then wing an arrow at 30 and miss. Right. right? So yeah. it's just how I want to play the game. Right. 
Well, and that's, that's gotta be exhilarating to be like every, every inch at that point is, is a win, is a win, um, to get in closer, to get in that close. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, it takes a lot of time to be able to get in that close most of the time. I mean, there's times where I could have taken a 30 yard shot that took Mm -hmm. me another hour to get into 20 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or 15 you know, or more, um, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot can go wrong in an hour. Yeah. So, you mentioned deer uh, walking into you, bringing it closer to you. Do yeah. you find that ambush, you know, be, being in a position and then getting, you know, where the deer do bring it to you is, is more effective than, than having to stalk in, you know, move yourself that, that close to, to deer. So when I'm hunting, when I hunt a zone blacktail, mm-hmm. I use what I like to call spot and ambush. Okay. Right. So I'll spot them. I'll work into a work into a place that I believe they're gonna go once they get up. Okay. And I'll set up, um, usually behind a feature that allows me to hide. Yeah. And I'll hunt them that way. Um, in the Sierra, I do spot and stalk. Right. Okay. So when you look at the animals I've killed the closest, yeah. they're all in the A zone. Okay. Right? Because I've been able to set up, and they're actually I'm waiting them out. And the reason the A zone works that works well in the A zone is because it's earlier in the year, it's hotter, mm-hmm. they're more dependent on water, mm-hmm. right? And so when they get up, there's generally very predictable routes that they're going to take. See, and so I set up that way. Got it. So spot and ambush has has worked pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> very well. Um, what's a what's a new? Would you approach? Getting somebody to trad bow the same if they're already a compound bow hunter versus have never touched a bow of any kind in their life, and then and then what are the what are the steps? What what are the you know two or three things that that somebody needs to know and or think about as they get into to trad bow? So the easiest the easiest person in my opinion, and this is just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's some big names in, in traditional archery that would agree with me. Mm-hmm. Um, the easiest person to convert to traditional archery is a compound shooter. Okay. Because he already understands back tension. He already understands, per, you know, he already understands how to hit the exact same anchor point. Okay. Yeah, he already understands a aiming mechanism, right? So now all you're doing is, is that anchor point, you're using your fingers instead of a leash, you're using a tip of an arrow instead of a five pin or seven pin sight. Right. Right. right? And so that person is really easy to transfer. But you can take a guy who's who's proficient with this compound and in two months turn him into a pretty good shot with the trad bow. Okay. Whereas if you take somebody that's never shot at all that process is going to take longer. Okay. Right? So there, so there, so it's not like there's bad habits or there's things you have to undo with compound shoot with compound archery, um, to make the yeah. transition. It's individual, right? There, there yeah. might, there might be, they're very, right. you know, the guy's got severe target panic and he's punching the plunger. Right. Um, he's probably going to have target pa- panic worse with the trad bow. Yeah. Right? And that's going to show up in different, right? it's going to show up in different, in different ways. Right. Uh, you know, and that just goes through coaching and, and sure. helping somebody work through it. But, but somebody, um, 
somebody who's proficient, especially when you want to talk hunting, a guy that's, that's been successful with the compound hunting mm-hmm. and he's already shooting 50, 60 yards with this compound. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know what? I want to, I want an additional challenge. I want to try this tribe bow thing. Those guys usually end up being really good tribe bow hunters. Okay. I Got did it. not start that way. I started with the trad bow. So <laughs> how how did you like? Why why did you go the trad bow route? It doesn't sound like you you um, you know were a were a compound shooter initially. So you went to did you go straight to trad bow or what what happened there? So my first bow with it, my first bow was a compound. Okay. Um, this would have been back in like eighty nine ninety. So a uh, I started the compound and. Um, I wore glasses. I, you know, I've got stigmatism. I wore glasses uh-huh. at the time and, uh, I sucked, you know, it's just, <laughs> it was just for, for how I could see to, to try to look through a peep and look at a pin and then look yep. at a target that just did not work for me. Now today, you know, I wear uh dual level contacts where I right. have a, you know, I've got my far one and my close one. I could probably do it now really okay. well. And I actually, in 2006, I hunted one season with the compound again. Um, and then I went back to the trad bow. But um, so I, I started with the compound and I just sucked with it. And yeah. a guy, the guy that I know had kind of the same issue. And he's like, you know, you need to try shooting a recurve off the shelf. And this mm-hmm. is how you do it. And so he gave me a bow and kind of got me started that way. And that's how I originally got into it. Nice. And it, years, and it worked. 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And, and it worked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned the riser. What are the other, are, are, what are the other components that somebody needs to think about um, in terms of their, 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 their trad bow setup? And then, you know, is there a degree of modularity where you could have like a, a whole toolkit of different, different things that have different purposes yeah that's a whole nother rabbit hole so um in trad bows you're gonna have one as all out. things good in hunting right. there's lots of rabbit yeah. holes that we, yeah. <laughs> endless choices <laughs> there is so yeah. in traditional bows you're gonna have one piece bows okay where you've got no modularity no options it is what it is um and then there's tip, two like pros, like tip right? to tip to tip it's all one it's all one all one piece okay right? is that usually wood or um, carbon or, or it could be either it's going to be most of the time it's going to be 100 wood bow right okay um you've got some two-piece bows that split in half the most common is going to be a three-piece bow where you've okay. got a handle or a riser and then you've got two lamps right so and then within that, there's more options. So what Buana bows, we do three-piece um, three piece long bows recurves, and they're bolted on, right? So the riser's got two pins on it, top and bottom, uh-huh. and it bolts top and bottom that mount those limbs to the riser. There's a system out there, which you go even further, there's yeah. a system out there called ILF, International Limb Fitment. And with that, there's no bolts. And huh. there's a locking system. So you could buy, you could buy riser brand X mm-hmm. and put limb, limbs from company Y on that bow. And so if you wanted to shoot some lightweight 40 pound limbs for target mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then change to some 50 pound limbs for hunting, you just unstring it, swap the limbs out, 
put the string wow. back on and you've got a whole new boat. Right. Um, so it's kind of that Lego system, you know, yeah. you can start popping different limbs around. And, um, so ILF has probably the most options and then sure. you work back from, backwards from there. What's the downside of that? I mean, it sounds like that would be a great way for somebody to have, you know, it's like having a rifle that, you know, you got your, you got an action, but you can just go, you can change it out and have whatever caliber you want. Um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it sounds like a, a it sounds like a, a lot of options open up. What's the, what's the downside? Um, is it just more than what people need or? I don't think there is a downside, right? Huh. To, to ILF, I don't think there is a downside. And I've, I've owned one. I've shot uh-huh. one. Um, they're, they're fast. They're cool. Um, to me, it felt like I was carrying a compound, just the feel of the riser and the weight okay. of it. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have this friend who I, who I help sure. in his business who he'll build me anything I want. Yeah. So I don't, you know, if I want to, if I want a 40 pound bow and a 50 pound bow, I just have drone build me two bows. Right. Um, right. Not everybody has that option. Right. Yeah. Um, but for somebody who wants to do a lot of that, I don't, I don't think there really is a downside um, unless you want something that's custom and then it becomes, you know, it's, it's hard to start getting custom woods and things like that in that system. Right. Really limited options. Yeah. I, I envision, um, going the, the custom route, like tr- full, full custom is like where you get a, a single piece of wood that, be, that is turned into a bow. Yeah. As, yeah. as, so the thing with, the thing like with the, our, it's the least, bow. you know, it's the least uniform. It's like, this is, right. this is, this piece of wood has been turned into a bow. It's going to perform the way that piece of wood performs and, and you just got to adapt to it. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, you know, at, at Buono, we build the three piece bows. Um, you can pop it apart and throw it in a suitcase. So when you're traveling to go hunt, you know, you just throw, you, you don't have to have a bow case. You don't have to have those extra things. You just throw that sucker right in your duffel or in your suitcase Nice. and, uh, and away you go. Yeah. Right? A, a yeah. two piece or a one piece bow causes a lot more, a lot more travel issues. So for us, three piece bows are the way to go. I saw some people showing up to um, a shooting ra- a public range here in Sacramento at, at Discovery Park, and um, there was like a youth uh, archery league you know, okay. tournament. And uh, I saw this gal walk up, and she had a backpack on, and you, you would never guess that there was a bow inside. And I realized she's probably got one of these modular bows that's broken down into three pieces. Uh-huh. <laughs> because like you just like, even a compound like it's it, it's just yeah. it's just just a standard backpack um which i thought was kind of cool um you but in terms of size you know compound bow what is it 32 to say 35 inches you yeah. know tip to tip you know wheel to wheel axle mm-hmm. to axle whatever you want to describe what is the size of of these and, and then you mentioned recurve versus longbow and what's the differentiation there but uh, these are obviously much lo- longer right than um, your typical compound so the the easiest way to identify a longbow to a recurve is a recurve the tips when you get away from that you know the limbs start coming out and they curve back mm-hmm. so the string actually lays on the limb 
Okay. And on, on a long bow, it's going to be a nice D shape, and the string only touches the limb at the attachment point. That that's going to be the easiest way to tell. Um, there's companies that make bows in all different lengths. Mm-hmm. I I shoot 62 inch bows. For me, with my draw length, that because I'm using my fingers and not a release. Yeah. You start getting finger pinch where that when you're drawing that back, you know the angle of the string. So I shoot 62 inch bows. Okay. Um, you, you can get long bows that are 72 inches. You can get some, some custom <laughs> six, recurves. That's that, six feet. <laughs> yeah. So if you're um, shooting from your knees, then the bow is clearly going to be not, on not a can. Vertical. It's, it's, yeah, it's not going to be vertical. Right. Yeah. So, and I shoot canted, right? Because I predominantly, I shoot to hunt. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't shoot to shoot targets. Mm-hmm. Um, now my buddy, I'm going to, to Kodiak with, he shoots a vertical bow almost every time, but he is a guy who shot compound for 25 years and converted. So okay. he still shoots a vertical bow. And, um, you know, I've been shooting recurves for 30 years. He's been shooting recurves for three or four years and he'll beat me on the target range. You okay. know, he outshoots, he outshoots me. Yeah. And, and he's the reason I started gap shooting. You know, it's like, I had to go to my friend who was a compound guy. He's like, what are you doing? Because, <laughs> right. I mean, what are you doing? You, you just started doing this and you're beating me. So, right. Oh, he, he, yeah. he took it up and he went straight to gap shooting. Oh yeah. And so I had to raise my hand and say, help me. Right. right. And, um, so that's how, you know, I did that. And my scores have gone, you know, if you want to talk scores, my scores have gone up 50, I mean, high double digits nice. that increases in my scores since I started gap shooting. Okay. Uh, you're, you're not going to be, if you're trying to shoot instinctive yeah. for scores, you're not, you're not going to be a guy that's good at gap shooting. No. Right? So tilting the bow sideways at an angle, which yeah. sounds like it's almost, you know, nece- it's, it, you have to be able to, if you're going to shoot a long bow or, you know, bow that's five to six feet length yeah. and you're, and, and you're, you might have to shoot if you're not standing, it's going to be tilted. Um, that is, that that is an absolute detriment in a compound world. That is that third. That's third axis, like, out of whack in in compound yeah. world. So, do you does the bow shoot differently enough to where it shoots the same on a tilt, or do you just have to learn to adapt your own shooting to that as you get to where you have a more aggressive angle? So it depends on the bow. Okay. Right. So uh, the Buana bows that 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 Jerome builds. They you shoot those off of the what's called off the shelf. Mm-hmm. So when you're holding the handle and you have an arrow loaded on it, that arrow is basically resting on your top knuckle, right? Now it's on the bow, but it's at okay. the same level as your top knuckle. So if you held your finger straight out, mm-hmm. it's basically you're pointing right where you want to shoot, right? So as you cant that bow, that that arrow changes very just a very little bit. Mm-hmm. And you have to adjust for that at longer distances, right? So if I'm shooting at 20 yards, I'm probably not going to make any adjustment. But if I'm shooting at 40 yards, mm-hmm. I'm gonna now I'm gonna aim instead of right on it, I'm gonna aim off a little bit to the left because I'm gonna get a right impact because I've canted the bow. Right. So the can't the can't the can't is gonna affect your you laterally more so than vertically. Yeah, your cast is gonna be different, right? Okay. Now if you have a bow that you have an elevated rest on, uh-huh. right? If you've got a springy rest or a plunger rest or some way where the where the arrow's elevated up off your hand, 
mm-hmm. that's going to be greater, right? Those differences are going to be greater because the arrow is further away from your hand. So as you rotate your hand, now that arrow from being straight up and down over it is mm-hmm. going to be, you know, it's going to start rotating one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, and whatever distance it's above your hand, it's also that a distance to the right. Yeah. And so it's magnified once you get downrange. Yeah. Um, they're all things you just have to practice with, right? You got to practice it and know where it's going to hit and know how to adjust. So, so my approach, I, I have a feeling my approach to nine arrows a week, as long as I can do three sets of three that are good, like, like, you know, cold, cold bow, cold bow challenge, you know, three days a week and I can nail it. Um, that probably doesn't get me enough reps in the Tradbow world to, uh, <laughs> to be not. ready for anything. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> um, what, what is the key? What, I mean, is it just time, time and time and reps? Yeah, it's, it's, it's time. Right? And coaching. All, yeah. Some coaching is going to help. Right. Yeah. But, uh, it's because you don't have those sighting mechanisms that are on the bow. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's muscle memory and it's repetition and it's your sight and, you know, and what you're seeing the arrow do. Um, I shoot, I mean, there was times where I shoot a hundred arrows a day, right. Um, typically in the off season. Yeah. Um, as I get closer to the season, that number comes down. Okay. Um, because I'm focused on other things parts of the game and so it i would probably say i shoot less than 30 arrows a day now right yeah some days i don't shoot you know i'm busy yeah um but i've also done it a lot you know you got a foundation of of thousands tens of thousands of arrows i know what i i know when i'm at full anchor Right. right. Based off of my system, my process that I'm shooting with, I know when I'm at full anchor and um, with trad that may, becomes a bigger difference because um, because you don't have that let off of a compound and you don't have that valley where you're actually settling into. Right. If I'm if I'm drawing my bow, you know, 28 and a half inches uh-huh. and I'm shooting at 178 feet a second. Mm hmm. And now I start drawing it at 27 and a half inches and it's shooting at 170 feet a second. It's all going to change. It's uh, yeah. It's all out the window. Right. Cause yeah. where I think my gap is, is not there anymore. Right. Right. So a lot of it is proper form, proper back tension, um, full expansion, hitting your, your draw length every time. Yeah. Um, that's what makes the biggest difference. And because you don't have that let off to tell you you're there, like you're in, yeah. you're, you're, you're fully, you know, you've drawn all the way. It's, is it, is it your anchor? Is it, it uh, what tells you physically that you've, that you've got a, that you're at full draw or is it just the, the, all the various inputs as far as where your anchor is, where you're, where you're holding, you know, your left hand, you know, the hold where you're holding the riser, how you're stretched out, all that. I mean, is there, is there, can you overdraw? Oh yeah, no. A lot of guys overdraw. Okay. Right? Um, a lot of guys, especially in a hunting situation, they actually get that animal in front of them, and then they pull further than they normally would. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's um, a lot of checks that you go through. For me, it's grip and bow arm. Mm-hmm. It's the expansion of my chest, where my elbow position is, where my 
anchor position is. Yeah. I touch the feather on my arrow. I touch it to my nose. I know when that feather touches my nose, I'm where I'm supposed to be. Got it. And I can execute my, I can pull through and execute my shot. Now there's a really simple way for a new person or somebody with target panic. There's a very simple system to make sure you do that every time. And you put a clicker on your bow. And what that is, is it's a little mechanism. It's a little mechanism that you mount on the limb with a tether that goes to your string. Okay. You have a pro shop help you set it up. And what it is when you, when you're drawing that bow, the string, the tether is going to pull that clicker and it makes a clicking sound. So when you hit full draw, it click. Okay. And then you can go through your release process. Now that also creates a bunch of problems. If you get, if you're using that as a firing device, which guys right. do, they, they wait till they hit that click and they're like, click, bam. Right. It's like, well, okay. Now did you do everything right? Right. Where it should be click. And then you should be, once it clicks, you should be, okay, now my process is keep pulling, expand, right? right. Um, so it can create other problems, but you're going to hit your draw every time. Got it. <laughs> Got it. So, is that is that usually a, a training device that then you you grow, you know, you let go of or you grow out of, hopefully? Or, or is that something where it just becomes part of the, the full routine long-term? Um, or it could some, go either way. It could go either way. And it's fine either way, right? Yeah. But um you know there's a bunch of podcasts out there that talk about that and um you know some guys could use it as a crutch mm-hmm. um it can also fail in the field right if sure you snag, if you snag it on something and it pull, <laughs> and it breaks your tether well now what right um you know you're back to the basics so right um i don't have one on any of my bows right now. i had to look um i use them um uh, i just changed from I was shooting with a 49 pound at 28 inch recurve and hmm. I had a new one built at 59 pounds. And so because it's heavier, yeah, I, I ran a, a check on there for a while just to make sure that I was hitting full draw at that heavier weight. Um, and now it's back off the bow, right? 59 so. pounds is that's a pretty hefty draw weight, isn't it? For a traditional bow. Yeah. It's like it's, it's like a, it's like an eighty it's like an it's like an eighty or ninety pound compound bow. <laughs> it's a magnum, you know. It's the we call that the Buona Magnum. Yeah. But, uh, it uh you know the the reason I did it is I want to be able to send that six hundred grain arrow downfield. And what I what I'm doing by doing that is with my forty nine pounder I'm shooting a five hundred fifty grain arrow, mm-hmm. and which works really well. I mean, it blow through anything in this state. Yeah. 49 pounds, right? Uh, I mean, because a bear, you can poke a hole in a bear with a pencil, right? Yeah. Um, but wild hogs, I mean, I've, I've had full pass-throughs on wild hogs, deer shoots all the way through, bear shoots all the way through. Um, not talking bad about a 50-pound recurve at all. No. It's pro- probably that 45 to 50 pounds is probably like the American standard. Sure. Right? Uh, but my drop at 40 yards with that setup was mm-hmm. 36 inches. Okay. Right? So okay. a 40 yard shot, I'm having to, to aim three feet above my, my target. Yeah. Right. And so for me, I wanted to be able to shoot a heavier arrow with smaller gaps at, at that range. Right. So 
I went up in weight, you know, and I used to shoot a 62 and a half inch bow years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't as good a shot as I am now, mm-hmm. but so I went back to the 59 pounder, uh, arrows right at 600 grains. And like I said, my point on 32, 33 yards. And so now I'm, you know, that 36 inch gap at 40 is just a little over a foot. It's yeah. much easier to make That's that. That's it. So you went yeah. from, from three feet to a little over a foot. Yeah. With a, with a heavier arrow. That's a much, right? that's, that's, yeah, that's gonna really flattened more, it out. Yeah. Well, and it's going to have more momentum when it gets there. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like going from a, a 6.5 Creedmoor to a 300 <laughs> Win Mag. Right. I mean, really. Right. That's what right. we're talking about. Yeah. Um, now, is it harder to shoot? Yeah. 100%. Yep. Right. It's harder to, but I shoot a lot and I have a lot of experience. So, so that's what I went to. Um, you know, I've got a bunch of bows on my wall, so I can always go back. I can play with what I want. Right. But, um, but that's the one I'm taking to Kodiak. Um, mainly because I want to be able to take that extended shot if I need to. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they've got thousand pound bears up there. So just <laughs> in case, you know. Right. Just in case, I, I want to have a little bit more in the pocket if I if I had to defend myself. Yeah. So I think you know most most of those compound hunters are probably running you know uh, an arrow that's in the four hundred to you know four fifty to to maybe high four hundreds range. I know yeah. there's been a lot of talk, a lot of pod, you know several podcasts recently, um, where this this you know really extreme or high FOC you know high high front of center high weight uh you know theories are being kicked around and it sounds like in in the traditional bow world um, a heavier arrow and a heavier front you know end of the arrow is, is pretty much typical you know what's what's going into that 600 grain arrow that you're hunting with now um yeah i mean it is typical and there's a lot of talk on it so when we talk foc i don't even know what it is right <laughs> um and it my arrows fly awesome. Yeah. I'm not really worried about if it's, you know, 21% or, or 31%. doesn't matter. Sure. To me. Um, but I shoot a 30 inch, um, a victory archery, a BAP TKO. So a, a 166. So I'm shooting a, I'm shooting a compound arrow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but I'm shooting those micros 30 inches long with a 75 grain, uh, insert. Okay. And a 250 grain broadhead or field point. Wow. Um, and then uh, a wrap and four three inch feathers. Okay. So, so that's four my arrow setup. Yeah. Um, because I can flip it on there either way, right? Yeah. With a four fletch, I can just, I can pull it out of the quiver and slap it on. And I don't have to look for a cock feather being in the right position or anything. I just let it, you know, I can just move on. And 250 grain broadhead yeah was that a, a two blade um i got or, a bunch <laughs> i i like i like stuff i like gear you know and yeah um i had somebody ask me if i was getting sponsored i'm like no i just like nice stuff you know right <laughs> um but uh i like two blades uh-huh. it, it really depends what i'm it depends and i think we talked about this last it kind of depends what i'm hunting okay um you know with a 50 pound or a 45 pound recurve, I would recommend somebody stayed with a two blade mm-hmm. because you don't have the, the kinetic energy to get the penetration with what might be needed out of a three blade. Yeah. Um, 
in the 50 pound range, definitely at the 59 pound range that I'm shooting now, um, they both work really well, but you know, on a, on a bear, if I'm, if I'm hunting bears, I'm going to shoot that three blade. I want a big hole yeah, because they're notorious for not bleeding well. Right. Um, with a wild hog, um, I might shoot a three blade. I've, I've shot them with both. Um, it depends. Yeah. Um, so I use, I've got a bunch of, um, VPAs, the VPA three blades. I've got a bunch of those and a uh-huh. great broadhead. Um, and then for two blades, I've got, um, some iron wheel wides, yeah. really nice broadheads. Um, and then I've got some tough heads, okay. which is a single bevel two blade. Yeah. Um, so and I, I shoot all three of those really well and I just rotate them through depending on what I'm, what I'm messing around cool. with, where I'm going to be hunting. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause I, when I've casually thought about like two blade versus three blade, I always figure oh, you know, three's better. And I actually was probably in the mindset until I had explained better to me was that three blade, if I say I was low pound is like 50 pounds. Um, I'm better off with three blades because I need that. I need a bigger hole. I need more cutting, but then three blades is 50% more friction than two blades. Like it's more surface area. And so if I don't have that, that power, that, that energy going into it, uh, when it, when it hits the animal, it's going to slow the arrow down more because there's more surface area in contact with the animal. And so it took a minute, it took, it took having to explain to me why two blades would be better with lower weight, but it's so that you've got, you know, whatever force you've got or energy you've got, it's applied to less surface area so that you can actually get through the animal better. hundred percent. And you know, the, the goal is you, you want a hole on each side. Right. You want two holes <laughs> and you want the arrow to pass all the way through because, yep. um, you know, I shot with the three blade, I shot a, a, a hog last year and the arrow was passing through and it, it hit the bank on the other side and that arrow stayed in where mm-hmm. normally it would have had a full pass through, but because mm-hmm. of the bank on the other side, it stopped. And that hog ran for mm, 40 yards or so with the arrow in it. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, it's basically got a plug on each, mm-hmm. on each hole. Cause the arrow's still on. arrow fell out. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got a episode of Dexter, you know? Yep. So you, you yep. want that full pass through. So if you can get a full pass through with a three blade, shoot the three blade. Right. right? If you need to come down to a two blade to get that pass through, or if you're shooting something with, with heavy bones or heavy shoulder plates, then maybe yeah. you should think about shooting that two blade. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that second hole is is important to getting getting the blood flowing and taking the animal down. So, yeah. where, what are you doing in Kodiak? What's going on? Uh, you're running off to Alaska yeah. to hunt. Uh, <laughs> what? How many different tags and what kind of species? What are you going after? So we're going up there on a Sitka blacktail hunt. Okay. Um, it's one of the five for guys that are chasing the deer slam, right? Okay. They've yeah. Got- Blacktail, mule deer, whitetail, coos deer, and then for guys here in the lower 48, the one that's kind of hardest to get, it's going to be the sick of blacktail. Yeah. Um, So we're going up there for blacktail. Um, And we're going to prime of the rut. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Is it September? Is it this later this month? November. So I have two more months. It's in Um, November? Yeah. 
Oh, it's going to be cold up there. <laughs> you may get some weather, some interesting weather. Yeah, we're staying on a boat. So we're doing a transporter deal where we're going to take a bush plane into a boat. Uh -huh. And then they take you on a Zodiac to the beach every day and pick you back up. That's so, so cool. And they cook for you and do the whole thing. It's, it's pretty, uh, it's a gentleman's hunt. <laughs> yeah. going, you know, you're not sleeping in the bush. So, right. Um, but it's going to be pretty cool. You can take three deer per hunter. Okay. Um, you can take two Arctic fox oh, with, your, with your hunting license. And there's a bunch of Arctic fox up there. Uh -huh. And um, there are caribou on the island as well. So um, I printed out my caribou permit. Um, but they're not always where you can hunt them. Okay. And uh, the benefit of being on the boat is you can buy your locking tag for a caribou from the boat. Okay. So when we get there, if we're seeing caribou that are in a huntable spot, I'm going to go ahead and spend the money and go hunt a caribou. Sure. Well. Yeah. So wow. you're already up there. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so that's the thing that we're doing. We're going, uh, my buddy who owns the spot archery here in town, uh -huh. Steve and I are going, we're taking recurves and we're <laughs> going with four guys from uh, Louisiana and Mississippi who are all compound hunters. So okay. it'll be really good group of guys it's gonna be a fun trip are you gonna actually like take pictures with those guys or are they gonna to have to be like out outside the frame nah. you know yeah no we'll get everybody in it. <laughs> everybody hey man you, you pay the you pay the entry fee to go hunt up there and you get the <laughs> you get some is love out your, of the deal is this your first time going to alaska it it's my first time going to alaska it'll be steve's third trip mm-hmm going up there so he's he's done this exact trip two two times previous once mm -hmm. with the compound once with the trad bow um you know and a pope and young sitka blacktail is 75 inches yeah. so they're big body deer with small racks on them so um you know we'll go up there and uh see what we can do yeah that's cool three and you can take three but no yeah. bears no no bears no, on, no, no bears no. on this opportunity no, there's, there's going to be bears, but they're right. not an opportunity for us. Yeah. Right. You have to, uh, bears are a draw. Okay. As a non-resident, you have to have a guide, um, a bear hunting guide to do that. And so, yeah, that's, that's not our radar for this trip, but, uh, going to try to get some pictures of some. Yeah, know. absolutely. Yeah. Maybe not, too, maybe not too close though. Hopefully not too close. I, I saw, I think I saw one of the, you know, I don't know, I don't know who produced it, a YouTube or, you know, some kind of honey movie or, um, YouTube video of, of, of a hunt up there and they did the boat thing. Yeah. I, I thought that's, that's pretty sweet. Like, and then you can, you can go, you can fish too. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. It's, is uh, so uh, hard. Hold on. <laughs> no, it's actually Jerome from Buena Bose texting me. Let me put this in the pilot. Um, so yeah, I mean, you've only got eight hours of daylight, right? Um, that time of year. So you've got 16 hours, give or take on the boat. Right. So yeah, you can, you can fish and they're pulling crab pots and, you know, yeah. and then you, oh, know, got, uh, you can duck hunt while you're up there. You know, there's Harlequin ducks up there. There's a, there's a lot that you can do. Um, we're pretty focused on, um, blacktail. Yeah. Um, Steve Steve shot two trips ago. He shot a hundred three incher, okay. which is really good blacktail. Yeah. So he wants to try to to increase that with the trad bow. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm shooting the first buck that I have a, a legitimate shot on. Right? <laughs> fill that first so, tag. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna fill the first one, and so um, yeah, we keep joking around. He's like, you know, your first stop. You know, you take the first first shot, and I said, as long as it's under 104 inches, right? And he's like, yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so exactly. If it's over 104 inches, that we might have to renegotiate that deal. But yeah, but, so you, uh, sh- you should definitely come home with some some meat for the freezer. That's for sure. I, I would hope so. Yeah, I mean, um, the average guy gets one, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's been guys, you know, there's been whole trips that they blanked out, but sure. whether whether such a factor up there, so. Um, I mean, there's a possibility we could go and get nothing. Right. Um, have five days on a boat. Yeah. The, I think <laughs> the last time they went, they had six guys and they took 13 bucks. Okay. Right. So that's a lot, you know, that's a lot of deer hunt. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Steve and I, our goal is, is if we can, um, get one or two stocks a day per guy, mm-hmm. then we're, we're going to have a really great trip. Right. Yeah. That'll, that'll be, that's a lot of memories. That's cool. Uh, yeah. so California, you still got two tags burning a hole in your pocket or one tag or I, I, I got what, what's going I, on. Are you I writing got, it off? <laughs> well, I have two tags. Yeah. Um, one of them's an X zone draw tag that's for archery. So that one, the, that's the right. clock is ticking. The clock, yeah. The clock's right. ticking on that one. That one's probably done. Um, uh, my AO tag, man, um, yeah. So I went up on the last day before they closed it. I went up and put in like an 18 hour day and, uh, didn't do anything with that one, but. Uh, That's right. I saw, I saw on your Instagram that you were going up and I just assumed you were going up to, uh, on the West side to a D zone, but you were trying no, that, to make. That was a D, I went to the D zone on that one. Okay. I, I just figured for the amount of time I had, I should go to a closer area. Yeah. Than, than driving the six hours over there. So, um, uh, but you know, I'll still try to put something down with that. I mean, my goal though, I mean, any, for me right now, any California deer is going to be a bonus. Right. Um, I passed up some deer in the A zone. I passed up opening weekend, uh, fork at horn that in hindsight, I probably should have shot. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, but Legal I like, buck. I, I just, yeah, I was like, well, I got a couple more months to do this. I'm going to pass up on this guy. And then now they, you know, they shut us down. So, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I've got places, I've got BLM, I've got wilderness areas I could go hunt, sure. um, right now. But my thing is I would rather be in an area that's got one buck and no hunters right. than a bunch of bucks and a bunch of hunters. Right. So, um, so I'm just letting it chill and we'll see what yeah. happens. If they end up extending it, then I'll probably make the decision to go to some of those BLM areas. But right now I'm just kind of letting it ride. I think that there's a high percentage of people that just like write it off. Like if they can't go to their spot that they've been going to for however many years, I think they just say, you know, the state screwed me over or, you know, I I think they just don't, don't bother. I, I, um, I'm exploring the, uh, the Sacramento Valley, you know, various river drainages that come down into the valley and where we've got these wildlife areas. And, um, I went into this one the other day that was, it's literally, it's 38 acres. It's this sliver of CDFW land that is, um, it it felt weird. I mean, I I can hear 
I can hear the ag pumps, you know, pulling water from the river. I can hear, you know, there's crop dusters flying around. I can hear ATVs and motorcycles literally like, well, they're tearing up the wildlife area, which, you know, is, yeah. is not legal or enjoyable. But um, I'm not in the wilderness, that's for sure. But it was a public land, <laughs> it was a public yeah. land hunt. And there were deer in there. I mean, this is this tiny little sliver and um, saw some big, really good sized buck tracks. I didn't see the buck or bucks that produce them. But twice now I've been in there, I've seen uh, fawns and does. And so there's deer in, the, in these spots. But I didn't see any other hunters. You know, yeah. I saw all the other commotion, but I didn't see anybody else hunting. And this is like, this is a Saturday, Saturday morning, you know, 25 minutes from where I live. And so right. <laughs> I think, um, obviously you know, the opportunity is there. I definitely am, am hoping that the, that the forest closures are relaxed, uh, on the 17th, like they say they're going to be, but, um, it's gonna, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, my, my thing for California, my goal for California is, um, to take another bear this year with the trad bow, yeah. um, you know, so that, that's my goal for California. So, uh, a deer with the bow this year, that's, that's a bonus. Um, but I've got a lot of deer hunting coming up in November. So it's like, I don't feel the pressure to try to fill that California tag on it. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've been doing it for a long time. I've taken a bunch of California deer. So, um, the pressure is not there, but I really, I want to fill that, that bear tag with the trad bow. Heck yeah. Um, you know, and like, October is the magic month. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know where they are in October, Wh- wherever the food are. You, you can listen to my bear series. There's probably uh-huh. some nuggets of wisdom in there. <laughs> I yeah. think they come down. I think they come lower out of the, out of the high country in October. Personally, I think Depends the high country the bears, bears come down. What's that? Depends where the berries are. Yeah, it depends on where the berries or the acorns are. Um, yeah. And so I, I think that's my that's my thought. That's my theory is that they come down, do one last, you know, middle country kind of refueling, fueling up on, on acorns if they can find them. And that before they head up to head up to uh, to hibernate. So I, I hope you get that bear as well. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Um, I, I, I think you're, I think you're pretty accurate on that. I mean, yeah. you're going to have your, you're going to have your local bears that stay low and then you mm-hmm. have your tra- your travelers. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, the berry crops are really good this year. The, good. the berries up high, at least in my areas look really good. Even, you know, we had a monster fire up here last year with the creek mm-hmm. fire. And, um, you know, I'm not going to tell you where I'm going, but there's areas that burned that have really good berries in them. Now we'll say that elderberries, um, choke cherries and gooseberries. Okay. Is, is what I'm mostly seeing. Okay. Um, tons of bear tracks. So, I mean, they're, they're yep. in there, yeah. um, and lower the acorn, the acorn crop this year looks really good as well. Even though it was as dry a year as it was acorn off really trees good. or shrub, yeah. the tree, tree, tree acorns. Yeah. yeah. The Valley Oaks and everything produced really good this year. Good. That's, that's good news. Yeah. One of the spots yeah. I go to, um, burned recently, not as recently as the Creek fire, but, uh, Southwest, you know, I think it's South, I think it's South or West facing slope hiking up it. 
it's got it's green all over you know yeah. there's lots of dead trees and then yeah. it's it's got lots of green lush plants coming out and there's and there's just elderberries all over it um, That's awesome. just so at some point probably that was two weeks ago yeah two weekends ago that like literally in the, in the week that i was up there they they ripened up you know 50 percent of the way yeah and so probably about a week ago the bears were just hammering it um and what the thing that surprised me the most on that trip, um, aside from how delicate uh, bow sites are, <laughs> don't don't hit your bow site against a rock, uh, was that uh, I, I found that that blonde bear, this blonde bear that I found at ninety one hundred feet, I I totally didn't expect to see a bear that high. I just figured they would have all dropped out. Um, because it's so dry and there's almost no water up there, but this one little basin had a flat enough bottom to where it had a meadow in there still. And so I'm guessing that that bear, um, if the water's there and there, that meadow's lush all summer, that bear just spends the whole summer up there. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that when I go back up there, if, if it's, if it's still September, if it's still this month, I'm hoping to if I can't find deer that that bear is still there and I'll bring it home. Uh, my guess was that it will still be there. Right. I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, so. if we don't get any weather in to push them out, why would he leave? Right. Yeah. There's nobody, there's nobody else up there messing with them. No. So, yeah. So, you know, and the, the thing is, is the, the deer that we've seen in, in D seven here um, after the Creek fire last year and everything got shut down. We've like, now there's a bunch of big deer running around. So, <laughs> while i'm a little bit annoyed that they shut it back down right for me i'm like well it'll be bigger again next year you know yeah. so you know, we yep. and we've had this conversation in the past about how do we get better quality deer in california well that's one way to do it right leave, you know, probably not leave, the way leave I more been. leave more up on the mountains yeah so probably wouldn't have been my first choice of how to get right. there right but, you know we are we are in the process of having some really good deer hunting in the next few years when this all gets wrapped up. So yeah, it sucks today, but yeah. looking forward, it's going to be pretty good. Yeah. A, a million acres a year or more burning. <laughs> um, yeah. It's not the type of burn that is the healthiest, but it definitely does cause some, some, some regeneration um, succession yeah. forest growth, um, which should be good for deer. So, you know, on your, so on your tag, um, to go down the the policy rabbit hole just for a minute. Um, yeah. On the 16th of September, the Wildlife Resources Committee is meeting, and one of the primary things they're talking about is some kind of um, formalized and long-term policy that's in place so that when there are large-scale public land closures, people can do something with their tag other than just eat it. So um, I don't know, you may have, I know last year they did something for a lot of the, for premium tag holders and for sheep, elk and antelope uh, tag holders um, that had areas closed down that, that X zone tag, you may get your points back or there may be, a, there may be an, an option for you to recover something on that. Um, there might, you know, and I, I drew my You're very phone. philosophical. You're very philosophical <laughs> about these things. You're much more <laughs> level-headed about these things than a lot of people. <laughs> well, I've been doing it for a long time. You right. Know? And so, 
I've seen a lot of these things happen. And, um, but like my X zone tag, I drew it. I didn't burn a point to get it. It was a second choice. Got it. Oh, well, good I got it on, so I kept <laughs> my points. So that's not a, you know, it's not a big deal. Right. I mean, but, you know, for a lot of people, you know, and I look at the Facebook groups, I see that they're like, I bought a tag for me and my two kids and we bought right. this and that, and they're into it several hundred bucks and now they can't go. Right. Um, you know, for me personally, I'm not going to, I'm not going to seek out a reimbursement. Yeah. Right? For me, it's a donation, you know, and, but it's I a also, donation as soon as you hit click, click, click buy. Like it's, right. You know, the thing is, and, and maybe this is a philosophy thing, but when you buy that tag, you're not buying an animal, nope. right? You're not, you're not buying the animal you're buying. Um, I mean, it's not a voucher, right? Nope. You know, I got my tag. I'm going to go over here. So, you know, you're buying an opportunity, right? Yep. You're buying access. You're buying access. And right. so the problem is, is when they deny you access, right? right? And so the argument from fish and game is, well, there's private land, there's BLM. Yeah. But not everybody has that option. I, I think that there should be an exchange program. Yeah. Um, so exchange it for a pig tag that's good for a year, right? right. Exchange it for, you know, uh, a future tag. So, you know, get it reimbursed this year, but you're going to get next year's tag. Yeah. I don't see the state handing out $43 at a time, writing out checks to everybody, you know? No, uh, that's, well, that's the challenge is like fishing, you know, the CDFW you know, it's not like they all just stopped working. Yeah. yeah it's not like the right. payroll stopped just because right. the national forest shut down. It's not like the deer get put back on the shelf. Like the inventory right. is like, we'll just put this back on the shelf and we'll sell that deer to you next year. Um, it's just n n like from a financial side, CDFW, regardless of what you think of that organization, they have to keep working. They they have they, they yeah. need they need the money to continue running the programs that they run, good or bad. And so it's not like all this money can just get sent back to to hunters. Um, so yeah, like the idea of uh, you know trade it in for a pig tag that you can use for the next twelve months, or trade it in for a bear tag that has another six weeks on it. Um, I yeah I don't, I don't know what they're going to come up with. Um, I I the fact that they're willing to like just discuss it and, and kind of do a deep dive on, on what the problem is and what the, what the, what potential solutions are. I think that's absolutely, um, I think it's a good sign and, and heck if they do anything that's, that's, um, if they do anything that is written into you know policy, as opposed to it being an ad hoc year, you know, each year, if they write anything into policy that's long-term that changes the, changes it in our favor slightly i think that'll earn a lot of trust um and and be a good thing for the hunting community so but uh yeah i mean they could tell me hey I, we've got we've got we got wildlife areas up and down the state that nobody goes to except for you mike so clearly 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 there's opportunity out there <laughs> no i agree with you you know and i would even up the ante a little bit and saying that they need that money even more now right with these problems that we're having. Yep. So, you know, as, as from our community, as the actual participants, right, the hunters, we really need to check that and say, you know, it sucks for me, but you guys need this now more to right. manage these areas. So I'm just going to let you have it. Right. Now, 
The challenge is, is at some point that this continues to happen year after year after year, they're going to start having fewer people buying licenses, <clears throat> which is one of the things. This year. Only, I right. think that's happening already this year. Like D-Zone is not sold out. There's 1,700 tags okay. left in D-Zone still. Okay. And it's like, I think last year they were sold out by now. Yeah, um, usually it's late August. Or, or three um, D3 to 5. So 3 to 5, right. 8 has tags still. I think 7 does. I know 11, 13, and 15 have tags. So it's like, yeah. there's there's a lot of tags still sitting. Yeah, right. And so those, those are things that they're talking about. You know, and I know they're talking about even doing a, like they have the free fishing days. Well, mm -hmm. maybe we have a free hunting day to let people go out and hunt for free, trying right. to get participation up. So, you know, it sucks this year. Um, if it comes down to it, I'm not going to ask for money back. But if you're somebody that needs that money back, right. I fully support them asking for it. Yeah. Right. I don't think we should. I don't think we should, you know, try to take this moral high ground and say, well, it's, you know, we don't need it. Well, you know, we, we spent, we paid for access. Right. And especially for guys that have draw hunts. Right. Yeah. Um, now, last year they gave points back, they gave money mm -hmm. back. Guys that had, you know, if you, if you waited 20 years for a uh, sheep hunt or for an elk hunt or an antelope hunt yeah. and now you can't go yeah i mean that's that sucks now what really sucks for those guys is that they say oh well we'll give you your point and your money back well why don't you just give me that hunt next year right right but and they're going to do the draw all over again so well, i already waited 20 years right now i'm going to jump back into the pool I, I want my opportunity right you know so i get i get to be one i get to be one of you know the eight with max points for the one tag right so cool. Right. I, I now I'm back into having a 12% chance of, of hunting that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's tough. Um, I think, I think, you know, I'd love, I, I want to, I hope they'll, they'll find more ways to have more specialty hunts, more, more late season hunts or early season hunts. I think it would be awesome if they came up with, you know, 1200 new tags statewide that pull people through the draw you know, that, that peel people off. And, and so, cause right now there's like three hunts that everybody, you know, is yeah. waiting for the, the max point holders are all going for, but yeah. it seems like it'd be, it'd be one way to, to one way to skin this would be to have more different opportunities, early season, late season, mix it up a little bit. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do. No, so, I agree with you. Yeah. All right, man. Hey, you uh, you teased me with the idea after I'll back up. So when I slipped and fell um, <laughs> and broke my bow sight, I, I kid you not, within 30 seconds, one of the first thoughts that went through my head was Mark's going to say you wouldn't have broken your bow sight if you didn't need a sight on your bow. <laughs> so, uh, that, I, of all the things that go through my mind <laughs> was i'm not broken all my parts are okay and mark's gonna give me a hard time because my bow sight because i need a bow you know, sight. <laughs> well i i fell down opening weekend i fell down and landed on my bow and i Oof. popped the string and i popped the string off of it oh now luckily with the, the uh, trad bow i just put the string back on shot it a couple times and we like, yeah i'm good just keep going wow. And, you know, you know, I, I told you a couple of times I hunted with a compound in 06 yep. and I broke my sight. Oh, you and did. I, I did. You know, I was, I, I drew uh, a 16. I was over there. I'm like, I'm going to hunt with a compound. I'm going to get a Pope and young deer. And I broke my sight on day two. 
and uh, ended up hiking back out. Yep. Got my recurve, hiked back over, and went in and shot a small buck. You know, but yeah, that one happened. <laughs> um, but I have uh, a wall of recurves here. Yeah. You, and I, I asked you, we were texting the other day. I've got a wall full of recurves here. Uh, if you want to try one? Um, we can make that happen. I'll have to try it. I just, I know that currently I don't have the, I don't commit the 30 minutes a day um, or more to it that I think it would really need. It seems like it really needs, you know, at least several months of, of truly, you know, having daily time with that, with that tool to get to know it and make it, make it, make it one with me. <laughs> well, let's, let's have that conversation in January. Right. <clears throat> right. We'll have that conversation in January. We'll give you plenty of time to look at next year. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So, well, I, I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate all the insights and hey, don't give up on your Dizo, your, your, your California <laughs> tags. You've got two months <laughs> or, or at least while you're out there, call it, call it bear hunting. Um, and, but just make sure you bring your deer tag with you. And just in case something, something magical happens. Well, you know, I, <clears throat> I try to act all cool about it, but I'm going to be out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, if they don't open it back up, I'm going to be in my BLM spot. Right. You know, so um, I'll be out there cool. trying. I'm, I'm going to keep trying, but, um, you know, I'm not going to lose sleep over it either. So. Good. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, being able to catch up with me and, and share share so much of, of this information. Tradbo is intriguing. Um, I won't I won't lie, uh, especially if, uh, if it ever gets its own tags, you know, get some get yeah. some primitive <laughs> primitive weapon seasons. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing your, sharing so much time with me and sharing so much information. And I want to see some really cool pictures a couple of months from now, 10 weeks from now, when you get back from Alaska. No so, problem. We'll do look, that. And you know what they say? Try bowing easy. Yeah. <laughs> no, it ain't. No, it ain't. So, I just, I say hunting ain't easy cause you I know, know. I'm, it's not. I'm, I'm still, I'm still, uh, still, still the newbie five years in, no, but, you're, you're uh, yeah, we'll we'll cut we'll cut it here. Uh, I did record this this session, so we've <laughs> we've we've slayed one dragon. There you and, go. Uh, I look forward to uh, to following you on Instagram. What is what what is your Instagram that where you've got all your hunting exploits? Uh, California Tradbow Hunter, and then Tradbow also, Hunter. Yeah, and then you can also look up Buana Bows. Okay, and, and that's B W A N A. That's it. Buana. All right. Yeah. yeah. I'll check them out. I'll have to give them a follow and, and see, see what the, see what they've got. All right. Sounds good. All right, man. Take care. We'll see you. Right. Bye. Bye. Okay. That's a wrap. And uh, definitely another shout out and thank you to Mark Sasser. Uh, you can follow Mark and his trad bow hunting adventures on Instagram at California underscore trad bow underscore hunter. Um, as you heard, he's also, you know, he's involved in the industry. He works with, uh, Buona Bows and he works with and supports and helps the California bow hunters, uh, with their, with the big game side of things, uh, with California bow hunters. So check him out, give him a follow on the Instagram. And I think you'll enjoy the content that he puts up there. Uh, if nothing else, Follow him for his upcoming Kodiak hunt because that's going to be pretty awesome.
um, as you may have heard on the front end of this, we actually talked for a couple hours, like, I don't know, six weeks ago. And uh, I, I didn't hit record. So hopefully that is my one and only uh, non-recorded podcast that I ever do. I feel like it's something that um, every podcaster probably does at some point. So got that out of the way. And uh, thankfully, he was willing to come back onto the show and and share his insights and knowledge of traditional archery and hunting and whatnot. And I definitely look forward to having him back to talk more about uh, some of his hunting adventures here in the state and, uh, and and maybe Alaska as well. Be a great winter recap, postseason recap to to hear how things go up that way. Um, so again, you can find Hunting Ain't Easy on Instagram at Hunting Ain't Easy. It's super easy to follow us. Uh, I look forward to your feedback and comments there. And um, while we're in this kind of lull, uh, archery season is not wrapped up yet, but we do have all these forest closures. I just encourage you to spend some time on the maps, spend some time studying those public land uh, maps and those access maps and, and find, find out you know, where, your, where your pivot opportunities are um, because we have, more, we have more available to us than we know. And um, I'm pretty sure that many of you will be able to dig up uh, a little slice of public land that is not uh, too heavily traveled, but will have wildlife on it. And I encourage you to get out there and, and find that find that piece of land and go go figure out what it's got and and how to how to close the deal on it. If nothing else, it'll it'll sharpen your skills for other time uh, when the forests open up. And uh, get you out of the house and keep you healthy and sane and and uh, not focused on the negative. So, anyways, that's it for the podcast today. And we'll look forward to coming back at you with uh, with more interesting anecdotes from the woods and the wilderness. Um, again, this is Mike with Hunting Easy, and thanks for listening. <laughs>